Let's open our Bibles this morning to Revelation 12. Um, in my study and in, 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 in this in this study in general, uh, it's difficult for me to find any boredom uh, with the Book of Revelation simply because uh, there's just there, there are so there's so much richness and so much value in studying this book because it it's basically a, a New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. And when we got into Revelation 12 last week, as we're going to continue in it really for this week and next week, um, the, the thing that it, it reminded me of is it allows us to take a step back and look at God's story of redemption from, a, from an overhead view, to kind of look at the big picture of the, the major players that are involved. And, and the thing that I can't stress enough for you and me today, guys, is that this matters so much for you and me because we are players in this in this stage, on this stage, we are, we are soldiers in this battle. We, we matter. Our lives matter. Our, our purpose is found in having this relationship with this Messiah, this Jesus, the seed of the woman that we're going to talk about next week. And can't wait to get into that next week. But, but this week, we're, we're going to back up and, and look at this, red, this great red dragon that I think all of us in the room today probably... We have an understanding of who this red, great red dragon is, as we're going to see here in Revelation chapter 12. But, but I think there's great value, you know, and I'm not here to give the devil his day, you know. But the scripture most plainly and clearly portrays him as a unique and a, and a very primary player on the stage of life, in the stage of redemptive history... And so we had better recognize who he is, how he operates, what he does, and what his aim is, what his mode of operation is, I guess is what I'll say here in a minute. Because, guys, that directly affects who? It directly affects us. Right? Anybody ever experienced any spiritual warfare? Anybody going through it right now? Okay. Then this matters, right? I mean, Revelation 12 matters. Then then all of this really applies. It's not just about knowing the timing of the end and, and all of the interesting details about how it's all going to go down, the mechanics of the great tribulation and the return of Jesus and all those things, that we can get lost in all that kind of stuff, guys. But at the end of the day, all of us walked in here today with struggles and burdens and, and fears and all of these things that are weighing, as Lynn prayed for us, these things weighing heavy upon us. There's a reason that we feel that way. Because there's an enemy, and he's powerful, and he's real, Amen. and he's at work. And for a temporary time, which in God's view, everything is basically temporary, we're living in his world. This is not our home. Amen. And that's the reason why we as believers feel that weight and feel that pressure and, and walk through this life with struggles because we're, we're swimming upstream, as it were. We're walking against the grain that the rest of the world is just so blindly following the, the, the lies and the deception of this evil one. And so I just want to drive that home off the very top this morning because, guys, what's happening in this scripture, it matters. It, it applies to you and me today. And so what we're talking about is the greatest story that's ever been told. And I shared this a little bit with you last week, and... I just want to remind you that, that when we look at Revelation 12 this morning, we, we spent time last week looking at the, the woman in the wilderness. And, and just, to, just to briefly recap the message of last week's sermon, what we've discovered is 
Sin has left a crimson stain. But He's what? Washed it. White as snow. That we see a, a, a virgin bride prepared for God in the wilderness, clothed with the righteousness of the Son, clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And this is something that we are part of this big picture story that there's always been one bride of God. He didn't have a bride in the Old Testament called Israel. He said, no, nah, I'm done with you. You're, you're a harlot. I'm going to get my new, better, upgraded version called the church. God doesn't have two wives. He's not polygamous. He's faithful to what? One woman. And He always has been faithful to one woman. Her name is Israel. We as Gentiles, we just get to participate and get to be included into who? Into Israel. That's what the whole story of Revelation 12 and the sign of the woman with the clothed in the sun, with the 12 stars. If you didn't get that message, go back and listen to that last week. It's very profound. The story of the woman in the wilderness. Where it all started at Mount Sinai. And it will end where it began. Fascinating. It's a love story. The greatest story ever told is a love story. And we're part of that. By Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ, we get to be included in in this bride that we call Israel. And one day, we're going to be prepared, beautiful and pure. And we're going to stand and give ourselves to Jesus in the new heaven, in the new earth, and in the kingdom of Israel on the earth. We're going to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we're going to consummate this beautiful betrothal that took place all those years ago at Mount Sinai. Guys, this is an amazing story. So so in, in looking at it from that perspective, this matters because we are part of this Picture, we're part of this bride, and oh, by the way, that means that there's an enemy out there who has targeted God's bride. That's why this matters. Because the minute that you trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, and you trusted in Him, and you belong to Christ, and you are now part of this bride of Christ, then the enemy hates you. What does he want to do to you? Destroy you. That that brings everything into perspective. That's why we're here right now at this time and in this place. And so without going into too many details, I just wanted to remind you of what Israel, this virgin bride, Revelation 12, the sign of the woman. We saw that last week. Go back and listen to that if you haven't. But we have other cast of characters that are involved in Revelation 12 that are also very important. Now, again, today I'm going to give a little bit of time to our enemy for one reason any military people out there got a few what's the number one mode of operation of warfare know your so we better know our enemy and so I think it's worth spending a little bit of time today seeing how this red dragon and there you see some of the cast of characters in this great story that's ever been told Now, next week, we get to talk about our hero. What's his name? We're going to talk about Jesus next week, the the true superhero of all. And I can't wait to share that message with you. But this week, we got to get into who is this red dragon, okay? And so if we look at Revelation chapter 12, we're going to see another sign in heaven. So let's read Revelation 12, and I'm just going to begin working through the chapter. It says, there was a sign in heaven... There's your woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head was a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. 
And then another sign appeared in heaven, a great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. We'll, we'll talk briefly about that today. What does that mean? And his, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. Now this is key. So that when she bore her child, he might what? That tells you a lot right there. She gave birth to a male child on, on, excuse me, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. This is the ascension of Christ. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she's to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, a war arose in heaven. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just tell you what I think. This is yet future. I don't think this is something that happened in the past. I think this is something that is about to happen in the near future. A war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. Cosmic battle going on in the heavenlies. He was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver. So he wants to devour. And he wants to what? Deceive. He's the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now is the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser. Now he's called another name. He's what? The accuser. He accuses you day and night. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Amen. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Think about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now. That's, that's real to them. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle that she might fly from the serpent where? Into the wilderness. We talked about that last week. To a place where she's going to be nourished and provided for, supernaturally protected for a time, times, half a time, this three and a half year period. And the serpent poured water out like a river of his, out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. I believe that's, that's representative of this great army that the Antichrist will amass in the last days to come after Israel in the, in the church, people of God. But the earth came and to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. What happened in the Red Sea when Pharaoh tried to go through the, through the Red Sea? The sea swallowed Pharaoh and his army. And then the dragon became enraged. He's furious with the woman because he can't, he can't touch this remnant that's protected in the wilderness. And he's, 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 he's enraged. He's furious. So he said, okay, well, if I can't get them, then I'm going to go make war with the rest of her offspring. All believers on the earth during this time. And on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. These are Christians. And he stood on the sand of the sea. 
Now, let's, I got I to gotta backtrack just for one second to remind us. Remember, John tells us who the great red dragon is. This is one of the easiest symbols in the book of Revelation to decipher because he tells us who the dragon is. He says he is Satan, that ancient serpent, the devil, right? I mean, just to make it clear, he like gives him almost every name. He's, deceived, he's the deceiver of the whole world. So we don't have to guess who we're talking about. We know this is our arch enemy. Now, let, let me remind you of, of the origin of Satan, okay? Ezekiel 28 tells us that he at one time was a guardian cherub, anointed cherub, guardian cherub in the throne room of God. We see that in Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14, you go back and read those passages. I 100% am convinced that those passages are talking about the initial rebellion of this person, this this fallen angel, okay, who was once in good graces with God and in a very close proximity to God. He had a special role and purpose there in the throne room of God. He was an anointed cherub and he decided that he deserved to be worshipped because he was the seal of perfection. He was full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. As far as we know, he was the most splendid of God's creation. And because iniquity was found, envy and and pride was found in his heart, he decided that he was the one that deserved to be worshipped alongside God. And because of his sin, he was cast out of that presence of God. He no longer was allowed to be in the presence of the throne room of God serving the purposes that he once served. And so at that point, he was cast away from the presence of God. He was, he was uh, kicked out of heaven, basically, or out of the throne room. But then at that point, that's when he began to start his evil empire. That's when he began to accumulate for himself a kingdom in heaven, an evil, wicked kingdom of darkness. And from that point forward, he has been public enemy number one the arch enemy of God and his people. So he is this ancient serpent. We're going to see here in a minute that we find him in the garden where that rebellion really took place, where he's going to lead mankind into sin and rebellion. So without going into all the background details, I just want to start right here. So if you're taking notes, let's let's fill these in. Okay, After Satan brought man into ruin in the garden... God prophesied, this is important, that there would be a perpetual war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. This is foundational, guys. If you don't understand this, you're missing a major portion of the entire book, of the entire story of redemption. Okay, this, this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis Chapter 3. So we got to go back there to find out what is this whole idea about a dragon who wants to devour the woman, the, the, the woman who's giving birth to a male child, a descendant of Adam. He wants to devour this person as she gives birth. And we're going to see that all started way back in the garden. Genesis chapter 3. Look at what it says. Then the Lord God said to the woman, Who is, what is it that you have done? Okay, so this is after Adam and Eve had chosen to sin against God and disobey his command. And the woman said, now picture, what do we just read in Revelation 12? A woman. Okay, and now there's a red dragon. This goes back to Genesis 3. You have a woman, and look at what she says. Who deceived me? The serpent. There's your dragon. He's there from the beginning. 
And the Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and beasts of the field. On your, be on your belly you shall go, and eat all of the day dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Amen. And there's your key verse right here, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity. Okay, that's a fancy word for war. There's going to be a war between you, devil, and the woman. Between your seed and her seed, offspring. He shall crush your head. I guarantee you those words are ringing through the mind of Satan right now. Amen. He knows that God has prepared a Savior, a Messiah, who one day will what? Crush his head. But you will bruise his heel. And we'll see how that happened here in a minute. And then to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. And in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, what we have to understand is, again, we could go through the whole Bible, but there's two primary characters in the Old Testament that we see this playing out. Now, when you first, there's different layers that we can understand this seed war. I'm going to call it a seed war, okay? Remember, what are we talking about? The seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. We have Eve, the mother of all the living. And then we kind of fast forward and we have Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who was unable to give birth. There was a supernatural, um, you know, something supernatural happened for Abraham and Sarah to be able to conceive and give birth. And that's very important. And you can trace the lineage of God, the godly people all the way throughout the Old Testament with people like Sarah and Rachel and Ruth and Esther all of these godly women that God used to preserve this line that would eventually lead us to Jesus. There's two primary characters in the Old Testament that you need to be mindful of, Abraham and David. When we talk about the seed of the woman and the Messiah, the one who was to be born to crush the head of the serpent, there were two primary characters. He had to be the son of who? Abraham, and he had to be the son of David. Guess who meets those two qualifications? Only Jesus. Abraham said, oh Lord, what are you going to give me? I'm, I don't have any children. He says, the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And then the Lord brought him outside and said, look toward heaven, number the stars. If you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and it counted him as righteousness. And we know the end of the story. Abraham did finally conceive with Sarah and gave birth to their son, Isaac. So there's the seed, the seed of Abraham. And then you go to David. It says, he, the Lord promised David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. And he'll build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David and Abraham. Very, very important that we understand that. Then you go a little bit further to Isaiah. And we begin to get more prophecies that begin to fill in some of the blanks. Remember, the, the prophet Isaiah said this, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And what we shall call his name? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. That when this son is born, he will be God in the flesh. Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom, 
and establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from that time and forevermore. Amen. See, guys, these are the Old Testament promises that track this seed war that has lasted for generations that God is faithful to bring the Messiah into the world. Because Paul tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of what? Born of a woman. Born of a woman. It's very interesting language. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Luke chapter 2. Mary, who just happened to be a what? A virgin. Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Give him the name Jesus. And he will be called great. The son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. There you see it over and over and over again. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary said, how can this be since I am a what? I'm a virgin. This doesn't make any sense, right? Look at what he says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you is called the Son of God. Now, this is a little bit of a side note. We receive genetic information from our fathers, the Y chromosome. Every time the Y chromosome is passed on to the next generation, it copies itself and it loses genetic information. It's corrupted a little bit more each generation. Y'all tracking with me? So Adam was perfect and made in the image of God. And from Adam all the way down to us, we're, we got all the leftovers. Y'all understand? <laughs> We're, we're, we're corrupted genetically, right? What's the one thing that Jesus did not receive from Adam? Y chromosome. He received Mary's chromosome, X. Who provided the Y? The Holy Spirit. Divine DNA. Fused with human DNA. Therefore, we have the seed of the woman. He was not born out of human uh, genetic DNA as far as the man was concerned. He still was in the race of, in the line of Adam, but he received his Y chromosome from the Holy Spirit. That's why he's unique, and that's why this prophecy is very important when you begin to read the Christmas story about he, how Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, conceived of the Holy Spirit. What a fascinating, fascinating concept. And so that's something you can track and trace all throughout the Bible, okay? There's this seed war. Now, let's figure out our enemy for just a minute. As I said, the first rule of engagement, know your enemy. And so from that point on, from the time that Satan was cast out of the garden and cast out of the presence of God, what has he been doing? He's been roaming the earth, seeking someone to devour, and he wants to snatch God's seed away. He's been doing this ever since. So it says, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Now we'll see in a minute, that meant directly when, when Mary gave birth, the devil tried to kill Jesus as a child. But this has been happening historically all throughout the generations. Okay? First Peter, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Guys, if you're not brokenhearted right now about what's going on with our brothers and sisters all over the world, I just don't know what else can get your attention. Amen. It's not just Afghanistan. It's all over the world. 
how much we ought to be on our knees praying for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing direct, direct assault and devouring satanic opposition at the hand of the devil trying to kill and steal and destroy God's people all over the planet. That's what it says right here. Now, there are a few viewpoints about the end times. And I'm not going to go into detail here, but some people would hold to this understanding that the book of Revelation is all symbolic. It's all uh, hyperbole. It's, it's, uh, it's not to be taken literally. There's no future fulfillment. In other words, you know, Jesus is not, uh, there's not going to be a thousand year reign on the earth. There, there are a lot of people that believe that, you know, we're in the millennium right now and Satan's already been chained. You know, in Revelation 20, we see Satan thrown into the pit and he's, and he's thrown with what? With chains when he's judged. And, and there's a lot of people that really believe right now that Satan is, is chained up. How do you explain that right now? What kind of a leash is he on? How long of a leash does Satan have to have to be doing all of the destruction and keeping the whole world deceived in his power right now if he's already been judged and chained? Guys, that, that's an impossibility, right? So he's still roaming around, okay, looking for people to, to devour, okay? So our enemy has not yet been fully judged. Now, we'll see in a minute that what Jesus did at the cross, it did take authority away from Satan, but he has not been finally judged. He is still very much free to roam and do the things that he does, which is to destroy, still kill and destroy, and he's doing that right now. Amen. See, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. There's that word again, God's seed. Jesus said that when people hear the word of God, the seed is the word of God and the devil will come and snatch it away, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. That's his number one goal right there. He wants to take everything that is said of truth and snatch it from your heart. He's distracting you right now, trying to keep you from hearing what's being said. He's making you think about the, it's hot, or I'm tired, or how long is this guy going to preach? Or what do I got to do after service? You know what that is? That's the devil. The word's being cast out there, and he just comes and what? He's keeping you distracted. Whatever he can do. Number one strategy of the devil. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. And then John 8, 44. He's condemning the religious leaders of his day. And he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Amen. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He speaks his native language. For he is a liar and he is the what? The father of all lies. Now let's, let's think about historically. How many times the, the serpent has tried to devour God's seed? You ready? Cain murdered Abel. That's where it started. Genesis chapter 6. The sons of God came and took the daughters of men, thought that they were beautiful, they procreated together, and now you've got the land full of giants, and they're devouring the earth and vile, full of violence and wickedness on the earth, just like you've never seen before. Which led to the what? Y'all realize eight people survived the flood? 
The serpent almost accomplished his purpose. He almost destroyed the whole what? But God is gracious and he saved eight people. Then you have the rebellion at the Tower of Babel. There you see Nimrod. He was a mighty hunter in the face of God. That doesn't mean that he liked to hunt white-tailed deer, guys. He hunted God's people. Then Satan tried to kill Job and his family. The temptation of Abraham and Sarah to take Hagar as a surrogate mother. You understand what was happening there? God had made a promise to Abraham that you're going to have a son, a son of promise. I promise you, Abraham, just trust me and be patient with me. And they got tired of waiting and they tried to take matters into their what? Own hand. That's Satan trying to destroy the seed of the woman. There is Esau's hatred of Jacob. He tried to kill Jacob. Then Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. Then you had Pharaoh and murdering all the male children in the days of Moses. Remember that? Throwing the children into the what? Into the Nile. Child sacrifice. But we don't, we don't have that kind of stuff going on today, right? Then Pharaoh tries to pursue Israel and almost, almost destroys them. They're, they're, they're trapped between the sea and the, and the mountains, and it looks like all hope is lost. And, of course, we know the story when God parts the sea, and the sea swallows up Pharaoh and his army, much like we just read in Revelation chapter 12. It'll happen again. David and Goliath, that's the seed war. Saul was trying to kill David. For years, David had to flee Saul. Who was, who was motivating Saul to kill David? Because David was going to be the father of the Messiah. Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. Then you have the Assyrian invasion, the Babylonian invasion. Haman, if you go read the book of Esther, it's all about the seed war. This Satan-inspired man was raised up in the Persian Empire to kill all of the Jewish people. Then fast forward to the days of Jesus and Mary as they give birth to the Messiah and they're there and the wise men come to worship him and, they, and the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream and what does he say? Joseph, take your family and go to Egypt because Herod is about to try to kill your son, Jesus. And what does Herod do? Sends people to Bethlehem and they kill every child that's two years old or, or younger, every male child in the town. Infanticide. The temptation of Jesus. The people of Nazareth, they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. He narrowly escaped. This is the seed war. Judas Iscariot, betrayal of Jesus. Then you had the actual crucifixion of Jesus. Now let me tell you what happened at the crucifixion. You see, Satan is the Lord of death. He's Beelzebub. He's the Lord of death. He, what he does is that he brings what? Death. Whatever he touches dies. That's who Satan is. So did you not know that when Jesus was nailed to the cross for a, for a split second, for at least three days, Satan and his principalities and powers of darkness, they thought what? We won. We killed the Lord of glory. We killed the Messiah. He's not going to crush my head. I got to him first. But had they known that that was God's, part of per God's perfect plan, that it was at the cross in giving his life that Jesus would actually crush the head of the snake. That the Sunday's coming. He didn't understand the full plan of God that the resurrection of Jesus Christ would validate him as the true Messiah, the true Savior of the world, the true Son of God. And at that point, the whole game changed. Amen. But the crucifixion was a part of this seed war. That's when Satan bruised his what? He struck it. It hurt. And then you have the historical persecution of God's covenant people, both Jews and Christians, guys. It's a, it's a history book full of just horrible, horrendous things. You know what? For the most part, 
many of the Jewish people have been persecuted by the church. Sad, sad day in history when you go back and look how bad the church has treated the Jewish people. Amen. It's terrible. Catholic Inquisition, things like the Holocaust, things like World War, and today the number one evidence of the seed war that is ongoing, especially right here in the United States of America, is what? Abortion. Abortion. Infanticide. Millions of babies being devoured before they ever even see the light of day. But the devil's been bound. He's not really, doesn't have any more power. Right? You see what I'm saying? So guys, this is what's happening when it comes to the seed war. And the thing that, that Satan does best is that he is a deceiver. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. So whenever he speaks, he is lying to you. Now, when we, were at, we had our Bible study Wednesday night, I just challenged our Bible study class. I said, let's try to come up with all the different areas of our world where Satan has almost complete influence and control. Think about that for just a second. And my brother, my brother John, first thing he said is right where? Right here in the church. Did you know that's where Satan works the hardest? To deceive people with false doctrine and heresy and feel-good messages and all the everything in between. So it, he has control, not, not, not total control, but he has great influence in the church. He has great influence in all the world religions. All over the world, people are in darkness because they believe a lie. You understand what I'm saying? That could be atheism, whatever you want to say, but it's paganism, religion, false religion. Satan is in, in control of that. Christian cults, oppressive, corrupt governments. Think Satan's got his hand in that a little bit? Maybe a little bit. What about our public education system? What have our kids been taught for the last hundred years? Evolution, no purpose in life, situational ethics, relative, uh, moral relativity, if it feels good, do it. Revisionist history, public education system, universities and academic systems. They say that if you want to send your kid to the place where your faith goes to die, send them to college. Many of your people in this, in this room today have children that they were raised in this church, they went to college, they, they denounced their faith. Because it is a satanic system that is designed to destroy people's faith. Amen. To deceive people. What about science? Boy, science is the big authority in our, in our life today, right? Who, who are the primary scientists in our world today? Are they believing, Bible-believing Christians, creationists? Almost 90%, if not more of them, are atheistic humanists. Amen. But they're scientists, so we've got to listen to them because they're smarter than we are. You don't think Satan has his hand in science? Entertainment, music industry, sports... Hollywood, Satan's not worried about that now. What about our money systems and banking, media censorship, fake news, big pharma? People get addicted to drugs by doctor prescriptions, and when they run out, they go to the streets. Don't tell me that's not a cycle. Don't tell me that's not a system. 
I'm not saying every doctor is evil. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's a system that is influenced by the devil, and he's got his claws in every single aspect of our culture and our society. Name one aspect of our culture and society that the devil is not in control of in that sense, in influencing. That's how he operates. And so as the ruler of this world and the God of this age... Satan has used the kingdoms of the earth to keep humanity in darkness as he leads as many... Listen, this is his number one goal. I want to lead as many souls to hell as possible. Amen. The Bible says wide and easy is the way that leads to destruction. I'm just going to say something to you guys. If you find yourself flowing along with the mainstream and the majority, you're probably headed in the wrong. I'm just going to be honest with you. To be a Christian in this life, Jesus said narrow is the way and difficult is the road that leads to what? Eternal life. And very few will find it. Amen. These days when you find yourself in the minority, you're probably in a pretty good place. Just something to think about. So Satan's number one weapon is lies and deception and perverting the truth. Now let's stop for just a second. This is a very practical application for you and me. You ready? Let's think about your average day. I want you to do this with me. Exercise with me. You ready? Your average day. Okay? Compare the amount of time you spend listening to God and His truth compared to what you spend listening to everything else. Just do that real quick. Think about it. God and His truth. Spending time in, word, in the Word of God and in prayer and in fellowship and, and telling people about Jesus and listening to other good preaching and, and going to Bible studies and whatever it may be. Every single day, how much time are you spending listening to God and His truth as opposed to anything and everything else? Advertisements and media and social media and television and all the other things that we feed ourselves. Let's ask ourselves that question. That's going to tell you probably how much you're being what? Deceived. How much you're being deceived. Can God's people be deceived? I bet they can. He's the serpent who's the deceiver of the whole world. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who's the image of God. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Look at that. Carrying out the desires of your body and the mind by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come to give us what? Understanding. Guys, if we've ever lived in a time when we need understanding, it's when? It's right now. We need understanding. And of course we know that, that Satan again has power over the kingdoms of the world. He's working through these spiritual forces of darkness, the cosmic powers, uh, principalities and powers. We know that these are things that are real and that are evident and in control over what's happening in the kingdoms of the world. I'm not going to spend much time here because we can talk about this later. But historically, Satan has used these seven kingdoms to persecute the middle, uh, to persecute Israel. 
I'm not going to spend any time there. This is, that's the focus of where our prophecy... That's, that's what it means when it says he has seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. It's talking about his kingdom. Okay, it's talking about the, the historical kingdoms that he has used that will once again come back together at the end to persecute God's people. That's what that is. All right, let's finish. we got a couple more points. This is where it gets a little interesting. Satan soon will be cast out of heaven... And when he does, guys, I've talked to you about this before. I'm not going to belabor this. That's when he empowers the beast. That's when we will see this, this man of sin revealed, the Antichrist. That's when he's going to establish his ultimate empire. And that's when he's going to unleash his wrath against God's covenant people. Okay, this is the moment when Satan is cast from heaven where? Now, this red dragon, remember, he's operating in the heavenly places. He has great influence over the kingdoms of the world. But there's coming a day... When God says, you can't operate in the spiritual realm anymore, you've got to come, you're going to be bound to the earth. And the Bible says, woe to the earth, because he is coming in great what? In great wrath. It's going to, that's what makes the great tribulation so terrible. Because Satan will physically be here on the earth to do his dirty work. That's yet future. The whole world will be thrown, I mean, Satan and his angels will be thrown down. Michael and his angels will fight against Satan in the heavenly places. Again, you got this cosmic battle. In Daniel 12, it says, At that time will arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and then there will be a time of trouble, such as never been since there was a nation till that time. And so we see that this is the time when Satan is thrown down. He comes down in great wrath because he knows his time is what? He's going to have his day. But it is a limited and a de determined definite time. Three and a half years is what we see. He's going to have three and a half years. I'm going to fast forward through that. Look at what it says in Revelation 13. Let me see. Let me back up. There it says, that's the ten horns and seven heads. Again, I'm not going to spend time there. Um, Revelation 13, look at what it says. The beast was given a mouth uttering halting and blasphemous words, and it was allowed, he was allowed, it was allowed to exercise authority for how long? He'll have 42 months, three and a half years, 1,260 days, and he's going to have his time, and look at what he's going to do. It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. He will make war on the saints. You want some good news? We need some good news, right? And this is, this is heavy. And again, you're like, well, Pastor Marcus, you know, you're not really telling me anything I didn't already know. But sometimes we just need to be reminded that when we try to put a face with, of evil in front of us, we have to remember that it's not that face that's evil, but there's a spiritual force and a spiritual power working what? Behind it. That's what Satan is so good at doing. He's so good at pitting us up against each other so that we divide and destroy one another while he steps back and laughs at us the whole way knowing that he was the one that started it to begin with. So sometimes we need to be reminded that yes, the enemy is real. Yes, this is how he's working. Yes, he is in control of, the, of the, all of these systems of the world and kingdoms of the world and institutions of the world. Yes, he is feeding us lies daily. Yes, we've got to overcome his lies by reinforcing the truth of God's word, renewing our mind every single day. It's the only way we will ever be able to overcome the lies of the enemy. But the good news 
which is difficult news, but it's good, how do we overcome? Even though He will be given this authority to conquer us, to conquer God's people during this time, guys, it's coming. We just hadn't tasted it yet, right? But our brothers and sisters all over the world have already been going through this for many, many years. Amen. Nothing new to them. We just haven't experienced it yet in America. We've been very privileged. It's coming, though. We've got to be prepared for that. But here's the thing. We will be given into the hands of the Antichrist. In that sense, he will conquer God's people for this period of time, 42 months. But how do we overcome? We overcome through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lamb who, listen, he proved his love for us by dying on the cross. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. What that means is that every time we are pressured, every time we are persecuted, every time we are ostracized for being a, a faithful um, follower of Jesus Christ in this world, we go back and remember, God, I don't necessarily like it. I don't know exactly what's happening. I don't know why you're letting this happen to me. But I do remember what you did on the and what that reminds me is the foundational truth of our relationship with God. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our... The Bible tells me so. He has proved His love. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto... And I've talked to you extensively about that common theme in the book of Revelation about the martyred, the martyred saints. So the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. So when he can't touch Israel anymore, he's going to turn and touch any other follower of Jesus that he can. Guys, that's what this time of great testing will be. Oh, I love Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, whose sake? For Jesus' sake. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, what's the answer? The answer is nothing can separate us in all creation because we are more than conquerors through Him who what? He loved us. Past tense. It's settled. Never for a second. Hear me, Christian. Hear me, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Never for a second doubt God's love for you. Amen. God's love is the most powerful force in the universe. It, His love, is what will see us through the most difficult days. That foundational truth, God. I don't necessarily understand what's happening to me, but I know it's not because you don't love me. Because you proved that already. That's settled. Is that settled in your heart? That's got to be settled in your heart, guys. I've told you this so many times. You've got to be settled in the love of God. This is how we overcome. Look at what it says. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our what? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, our faith, it's the love of God and our faith, the word of our what? Testimony. 
We go back and stand on the promises of God, believing who He is and what He's done for us and who we are in Him. I'm going to spend just a few minutes right here. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in his suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Guys, I'm tired of God's people being afraid. Amen. I'm tired of it. I'm just going to go ahead and step out there. What, what's the elephant in the room? Say it. COVID. It's the elephant. Who, who's tired of talking about COVID? Anybody? Amen. Okay. Stay with me. I'm so tired of God's people being afraid. Why are we so afraid? God did not give us a spirit of fear. Satan is keeping so many of God's people right now in a stupor, in a paralyzing spirit of fear. And guys, if y'all hadn't paid attention yet for two weeks to flatten the curve to now here we are almost two years later, it ain't going away. They're not going to stop talking about it. Are you hearing me? What are we going to do? Are we going to continue to live in Paralyzing, isolating fear. The Bible says that without faith it is impossible to what? Please God. What's the opposite of faith? It's fear. We've all been touched by it. We've all been conditioned. This has been a, a social experiment to condition how many people can we get to truly be afraid I'm going to be honest with you. The, the virus makes people sick. The virus is, is a novel virus. The virus is very real. It's touched many of your lives. It's touched many of the people's lives that are in this room, some of your family members. I understand all of that. But what I'm saying, guys, is that we have always had viruses. Amen. Always. Some much more lethal than this one. And yet, for some reason, I want you to ask yourself, why has our world been turned upside down and locked down and paralyzed with fear over this one? Just ask yourself that question. Is this one really the boogeyman? Did you know, I went to look at some statistics. The number one leading cause of death is heart disease. Did that cause you to fear to drive through McDonald's drive through the other day? <laughs> if you're really concerned about dying, the number one, you're more likely to die from heart disease than anything else. Are you watching what you eat? Exercising? 
Number, uh, number three cause of death, accidents. Did you drive here today? Did you get in your car? Did you take, I drive 240, man, that's, that's a death trap every, every day. Did you go work in your yard today? Did you go work in your job today, this week? You can get hurt on the job, can't you? You can die in a car wreck, can't you? Why don't you stop driving? Aren't you afraid? Did you know that medical malpractice kills 250,000 people every single year? And yet every time you get a sniffle, who are you going to run to? To the doctor? You know that you go into the hospital, there's a, there's a very good chance that you could have a medical error that will kill you. 250,000 people in America every year die of medical malpractice. Does that keep you from going to the doctor? Does that keep you from having a, a minor surgery, a major surgery? Why not? Aren't you afraid to die? I just got to say this. So, if you want to, you can do this with me. Let's just do it. Take out your phone, if you want to. Let's look at this. How many people in America? Anybody know? 330 million people in America. All right, I just checked this morning. Let's do this. 650,000 cases of COVID in America right now. Divide that by 330 million people. 0. 0.0019. You know what that tells me? That right now you have a 99.99% chance not even to get COVID. Amen. Okay, well, what, all right, there's, there's 40,000, uh, let's see, 40 million cases, roughly, 650,000 deaths. Let's do that. 650,000 deaths, uh, let's divide that by 40 million. 0 0.01. You know what that means? That if you catch COVID, you have a 99.9% .9 chance to what? I'm just doing math. 99.9% .9 chance you are going to survive. Am I minimizing the people who have died? Please hear me. Because this is where a pastor says something like this, and you're like, you don't have any sensitivity, you don't have any consideration for the people who've gotten sick, and the people who, don't tell me that, I do, I have people who are close to me who've been very sick, there's people in our church who have died from this dreaded disease, I'm not talking about that, my heart breaks for those people. I'm just trying to simply pull out numbers and show you guys that the likelihood of you catching COVID is about 10% of America has caught COVID, 10%. But that's all we what? That's all you're going to hear about. Why? Because it puts us a spirit of fear. Amen. You have a 90% chance that you won't even catch COVID. 40 million cases. You have a 99.99% chance you're going to survive COVID. And yet we are scared to death. And we have changed our life. Now, here's the thing I want to say. I've got to close this, this message. I'm not here to argue COVID. Oh, by the way, those numbers, that's even without treatment. You have a 99.9% .9 chance to survive COVID without treatment. With treatment, with good preventative treatment, you have an even what? Much higher chance to survive COVID, okay? Just, just to make sure you understand what I'm saying. 
I'm not here today to talk about whether you should be vaccinated or not, or whether you think COVID is a big pandemic conspiracy or not. I'm not here today to say any of that. What I'm here today to say is this. If you can't recognize for one minute that the devil has his hands all up in this thing and is creating fear in your heart as one of God's children who is supposed to walk without a spirit of fear but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, if you can't recognize that, guys, you need to wake up. Because he is the one creating fear. He's the one bringing division among God's people. He's the one keeping us distracted and deceiving us with this entire crisis to get us off of our game and to get us off of our responsibility and to get us off of our, uh, our goal as Christians, which is what? You shall be my witnesses. Period. To the ends of the earth. I'm tired, guys. Anybody else tired? I can't tell you how to live. I can't tell you what to do. But all I can tell you is that the enemy is the one who is using this to keep us paralyzed. And you cannot be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ as long as you're what? Paralyzed and afraid. So somebody needs to start making up their mind. What are we going to do? I'm going to ask our praise team to come up. Sometimes you got an elephant so big in the room, you just got to go ahead and recognize him, right? I say it last week and I'll say it again. We can all, we can, we can all forget... Listen to me. Please hear me on this. Let's forget that things are going to go back to the way that they were. It's not going to happen. Amen. I'm not a prophet, but I'm telling you. It's not going to go back to the way things used to be, the good old days. It's not. Our lives have changed forever. What are we going to do about it? How we respond in the next six months to a year to 18 months is going to determine the trajectory of the church right here in the United States of America. Please pray for us. Pray for us as leaders. Pray for your elders. We have major decisions that we have to make. Pray for our teachers. I pray for you as our church family. As you go out there and try to figure out how to navigate all the deception and all the complexion and all the complexity of everything that's happening, guys, it's a very confusing time, right? Who's the author of confusion? Now, we're about to sing a song as we go to remind you that we overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony because Jesus went to the cross And at the cross is where he proved how deep the Father's love for us. Will you stand together as we sing? Father, I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you for your love. And I want to pray that we would be settled in the cross of Christ, the blood of the Lamb that was shed for us, his blood that was shed for us. Help us, Lord, to overcome our fears and step out in faith, Lord, to be the people that you've called and created us to be. That we overcome 
the devil, this enemy, through our faith for those who believe in Jesus, the Son of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,